0: meet the kramers they love to kiss one of them's trans and the other is cis. meet the kramers they got tattoos a little cute dog and hey they're They're vegan too meet the kramers they've been through some shit but they give trigger warnings when they talk about it
1: Meet the Kramers with Sarah and Jerry. It's the closest you can get to them without taking a ferry. Because they live on an
0: island. It's the Meet the Kramers podcast. Meet the Kramers podcast. It's the Meet the Kramers podcast show.
1: That is our new theme song because we noticed the other day on Instagram, on our Instagram, that Jamie underscore J underscore Tilly had written some lyrics for a theme song for our podcast, and I was inspired to get my ukulele out and we recorded a song. I took a few liberties with the lyrics that Jamie wrote, but I think it turned out pretty cute So thank you, Jamie Oh, and by the way, you should visit Jamie's website at jamiejtilly.com because they are a wonderful artist Our listeners are incredible And I also wanted to say if there's any musicians out there who want to record their own version in a different style please do it Send it to us and we'll play it on the show and then we can promote your music That'd be fun Hi I'm Sarah Kramer. I'm a cis woman, and my pronouns are she, her. It's really early in the morning when we record this. We usually record this in the evening, but we woke up and had to do it right away because we kind of skipped a few days in our schedule because it was our 25th wedding anniversary, and we did a lot of laying around when we should have been working on the podcast. Anyway, good morning. It's eight in the morning.
0: Oh, it's my turn. Wait,
1: it's Sarah and Jerry in the morning. No, it's not
0: Go ahead. What, who are you? Who even am I? Who even are you? Hi, uh, I'm Jerry Kramer. I'm a trans woman and my pronouns are she, her.
1: Do I sound tired? Because I feel like I sound tired.
0: You sound the same. You sound gorgeous.
1: Oh. We have to start this podcast with an apology. I made an error in speaking last episode. We in fact do not live in a cul-de-sac, which by definition is a street, a lane, et cetera, that is closed at one end, like a blind alley or a dead end street. We don't live in a cul-de-sac. We live on a crescent, which is in the name of my address. So I don't know why I didn't just call it a crescent. Apologies to everybody for my (laughs) misspokenness. And if you ever hear us use a word incorrectly, especially when we're talking about trans, queer, gender stuff. Send us an email at info at or a DM on Instagram. We would love it if you would correct us sometimes because we're not experts and we're just trying our best. And sometimes we don't get it right. So we would love to hear from you if you have any constructive criticism. But if you don't like our show,
0: off you go. <laughs> but yeah, please feel free to call us in for anything. I wanted to talk about this weird kind of flashback that I had this week. I was wearing a shirt that was given to me by our niece, and it was—it's a like a sheer button-up collared shirt, but the buttons are on the wrong side from what I have been used to my whole life.
1: Oh, because male shirts button up one way, and yes, lady shirts button up the other.
0: Yes. Oh, okay. I'm not 100% why that is, but I think that my mom told me it was so women could help men get dressed. <laughs> <laughs> Which actually, if you think about it, kind of checks out.
1: Oh, maybe. But
0: anyway, I was really struggling with the buttons, and it took me back to when I was 13 years old. I was volunteering at the hospital as a candy striper. As I think everyone knows, is a traditionally female role. Many of the people had Alzheimer's or dementia, and we had to like feed patients and bring them stuff. But I was always being called Miss when I was doing it because I had a tiny, tiny bit of uh, like long hair in the back, kind of a moppy mullet thing. I mean, it was like 84 or something. Was it
1: like an asymmetrical?
0: Real early 80s. It was just kind of moppy on top and long in the back. I think it was a pretty queer haircut if, if I was wearing it now. I just remember that moment that like someone was someone had really misgendered me and uh, I guess gendered me correctly. <laughs> how I felt in that moment, like how like warm and affirming, but also terrifying it was.
1: It must have been confusing too.
0: Yes. I don't know, like a sweet little memory that I have, I'll keep in my pocket.
1: I bet you look so cute in that little candy striper outfit. <laughs> <laughs> I probably did. I think that we're both having all kinds of memories pop up because we are really digging into our past in order to create this podcast. And so I just think it's really neat, the stuff that you forget.
0: And I feel like there's also a part of me that is actively suppressing a lot of that stuff for most of my life because I don't want to think about it. I don't want to think about how that old woman calling me Miss made me feel because that's confusing, yeah. to 14-year-old me
1: I know that like the last episode that we recorded was very Jerry heavy and what was it like for you recording that episode i know you were a little apprehensive about going back into those that particular year
0: Listening back to the show after we had edited everything and you had got everything put together the way the way that it should sound, I could just hear, I don't know if it's fear, but I could hear something in me and the way I was talking and I just could hear myself ramping up through every like little segment, I guess.
1: Like you were just trying to get through it?
0: Yeah, like I had the end the end statement in mind and it was just like, I got to get, got to get, got to get, got to get, got to get very, panic, very panicked, very um, panicked.
1: I think that year was really particularly rough for you. So visiting it can't be easy. And it's so recent, like my cancer stuff is rough for me, but that was eight years ago and it's still rough for me. Yeah. So this is just a year ago for you. So you have to be really tender with yourself, you know, when, when we talk about this stuff.
0: Yeah, it is. It is. It's it, fresh. It's it's still super fresh. And I haven't gotten to replace any of those social memories with new social memories. So they're my last social memories. Right. Because we've been locked up for so long.
1: Right. Because when you came out a couple of weeks later, <laughs> we it was the pandemic. And yeah. then we were trapped in the house together. Yeah. Not trapped. Well, yeah, trapped.
0: Trapped. And that leads us into this episode. We do want to start with a trigger warning. We're going to be discussing some sexuality, maybe some sex-related stuff. So please take care of yourself if you do decide to listen.
1: So you asked me about how to look for a therapist. And I said, you just got to get online and do some research on who you want to see because I didn't know what you wanted exactly And so I didn't feel like I should help you with it because you know yourself the best. And I think I told you to go online and find three therapists that you like, and then we could look at them together um, and I could help you then. But I didn't want to help you find a therapist. I wanted you to find... You know, like getting a quote for getting a new roof on your house. I didn't want to look at the whole phone book. I wanted you to come to me with three quotes and then we could go over them and see which one we thought was the best. So how did you do that? What did you do?
0: I went on to psychologytoday.com where you can find a therapist in your area. It has all sorts of functions where you can really narrow down your search if you're looking for help in a specific area like trans or sexual assault. I didn't use that function, because I really didn't know what I was looking for. But because of that thing I had read about closeted queer people feeling disconnected, which I think I've mentioned in every single episode, because it was such an important point to this whole thing for me. And I read that thing, everything clicked, and it just started this landslide. And I decided that what I I was going to need in a therapist was someone who was a woman, someone who had experience with sexuality, someone who was tattooed, because... I know you had had an experience with a therapist that had really like...
1: Yeah, she thought I was it was self-harm. And it's all she wanted to talk to me about was like, oh, I see that you have a dagger on your arm. And what is that? It says unforgiven. I'm like, it's a go-go song. And she's like, oh, but why is it a dagger? That seems real intense. And I was just like, girl, can we talk about why I'm here? Anyway.
0: When I did find the three therapists, one of them had a very visible chest tattoo kind of poking out of her jacket one of her specialties was gender and sexuality. I honestly chose her because she had a tattoo showing and because she looked so kind.
1: Oh, her photo was great.
0: The gender and sexuality thing, I just kind of read it and was like, sure. Maybe that'll help. But I was not going there for that. But so I showed you I showed you three or four profiles. I honestly I don't remember the other three profiles. Because I knew who I was going to choose, and I just wanted you to help me choose her.
1: But it's not like you're like incapable of making a choice, but I think this was so scary for you, that you you were looking to me for
0: support, right? Yes. Oh, gosh, yes. Okay. I, I can make a decision. <laughs>
1: okay. It's just sometimes it sounds like you can't.
0: No, we were sharing in the yes. process okay. because...
1: We're in this together.
0: We're in this together.
1: We're a team. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> But then you, when you made your appointment to see her immediately, I was shocked because normally you procrastinate around things that have to do with self-care for yourself. And the fact that you did it immediately showed me how urgent this was for you. And I was so proud of you for just like one touching it and getting it done. I, w- I was just, it was the beginning of so many proud moments for me watching you take care of yourself. I do want to say that one touch is a friend of mine's What do you call it?
0: It's a solution.
1: If you, for example, are like, oh, I need to pay that hydro bill. I guess I'll do it tomorrow. No, you one touch it and you do it the second you think about it. If you're like, ah, I need to call my dentist to make an appointment. I'll do it next week. No, you one touch it and you do it immediately.
0: And saying one touch when you're finished it is like a reward.
1: Yeah, you're like one touch.
0: Yeah, I do usually procrastinate because I have a lot of anxiety around appointments
1: and i think the i think the appointment anxiety i think it's real with cancer treatment because every appointment that you are having is so <laughs> heavy yeah. so when cancer treatment's over even just going to something simple like a dental appointment to get a cleaning it would fill me with so much anxiety because here you are having to surrender your body again. I mean it's a dental appointment it's not the same but anyway yeah an- appointment anxiety is a real thing.
0: So then I met my therapist and we had a 15 minute consultation like a little meet and greet just to kind of see if we clicked and we did so I booked another appointment.
1: So here's our little teachable moment for the podcast today. One thing to remember when you're looking for a therapist is that if you're not feeling it, move on. And I don't, I don't know if that's good advice or if it's something you should discuss with that particular therapist that you're not feeling your connection with them. But I feel like if the vibe isn't there, it's so much more work and it's the wrong kind of work. You're there to work on yourself. So my feeling is, is if you don't vibe with someone, just move on. Like, do you get hurt when someone moves on to a different tattooer?
0: No. Sometimes.
1: Sometimes. (laughs) <laughs> anyway, my feeling is is that if you don't vibe with someone that you're talking about deep, intense feelings with, it's it's just an exercise in futility.
0: I feel like that's great advice because I could have used it in my twenties when you saw the when I saw the, the old, sofa old, the sofa ther- old, old therapist. Let's not be ageist to <laughs> okay. that
1: to that poor man. Let's call him the
0: sofa therapist. The sofa therapist.
1: If you don't know what we're talking about, you have to go back to episode something two, three, two. four. Who two. knows? Just why aren't you listening from the beginning?
0: Episode three. So the first session was, I think, like kind of a getting to know you kind of thing. These sessions were an hour long. And I think I did those for uh, like the first two or three before I asked her if we could do longer sessions because I felt like we weren't quite getting where we needed to be. But we talked about work because I thought that's why I was there. We talked about. My feelings of loneliness and where I thought all of my issues were, were stemming from because I thought that's why I was there. Um, I thought that because of that person who quit had made me spin out in such a way that did not feel, I don't know what the word is, appropriate.
1: Yeah. The anger that you were feeling was not appropriate for the situation. Right.
0: It was too intense. Yeah. And it
1: really didn't have anything to do with them.
0: (laughs) No, not at all. I don't believe she made much appearance in my therapy sessions after the first one. What we did talk about were my core values. And we suspected that a lot of my anger was because my core values, the values that make me, me the things that I think are more important than anything in the world weren't being respected. That was my big takeaway. I was carrying a lot of emotional baggage in regards to the shop and the relationships that I had with the people I worked with. And none of that stuff was mine to carry. It obviously wasn't serving me to hold on to a bunch of other people's shit. I think the first session was pretty successful. Like it really gave me a lot of things to look at.
1: You came home all jazzed up and we like went for a dog walk, which we always do. And just really talked about how that session sort of helped you clarify your anger and all these feelings that you were having about the shop and how they were actually deeper than that. It was, yeah, it was a really good first session for you.
0: We always go on a dog walk after a therapy session. It's kind of like a, a relationship download for us. I find that, I can do a really great work in the room during therapy when I come home and reiterate it all to Sarah is sort of where it gets cemented. Mm.
1: But also there's no pressure to share what you talk about in therapy. Like sometimes when I'm done therapy and it's a heavy one, it takes me a couple hours to kind of marinate in it before I feel like sharing with you. And then when we go on that dog walk, I can really sort of tell you everything. Yes. I mean, I may not tell you everything, but I do definitely like to share it with you because all these little revelations help sort of help me level up. Yeah. And in turn, it helps you level up as
0: well. Yeah. And it's not like we just keep notes and come back and say this and this happened and this happened <laughs> no. and this happened and this happened. It's more like these, this is my takeaway from therapy today and this is sort of what I've learned about myself. I think it's a really important part of it because a lot of the stuff that you talk about, especially in that room, is so heavy repeating it back a couple times to your therapist or then to your partner it helps it helps me put it in an accessible file folder in my brain.
1: And then what was session two like with her?
0: Uh session two was a couple weeks later. I think we were doing every two weeks at that point. We kind of she kind of delved into my relationship stuff. What's your marriage like? We talked about sexuality and queerness, and of course, all about our difficulties like your cancer and the robbery and sexual assault. And I also disclosed that you were so shook after your robbery that briefly thought that I was trans because I was trying to make you more comfortable with a less male energy.
1: And so, what did the therapist say when you
0: said that? She said, That's not a thing people do. And I think I responded with something along the lines of, Oh, like, you just don't understand how kind-hearted I am. I just really (laughs) want her to feel safe in her home. But I think, really, she already had my number. (laughs) She figured me out quick. (laughs) And in between therapy sessions, we went to Vancouver to see Sasha Velour. Uh,
1: For those of you who don't know, Sasha's a gender-fluid drag queen who won season nine of Drag Race. The show was at the Queen Elizabeth Theater, which is, like, a huge fancy theater. And it was very different than the other drag shows that we'd seen. This was more like performance art than a typical drag show at a bar. At least it just felt very elevated. It was probably one of the best live theater performances I've ever seen in my life. And the whole night was incredible.
0: And it was also very, very queer. The theater was filled with queer people. And I remember feeling really overwhelmed with just everything around me. I think I was really uncomfortable because there were so many people in the audience who were so comfortable.
1: Everybody was just in this safe space. And so they were just really just being like it was everyone was just being themselves.
0: Yeah.
1: And having a great time.
0: Yeah. And I think that just really kind of affected me. Not the queerness. The queerness... I don't think I've been ever been really uncomfortable around anything queer. I was just uncomfortable in my skin and who I was in my body. But in between numbers, Sasha was talking to the audience about queerness and queer safe spaces. And she said something, something along the lines of you belong in here. I took it and put it in my heart when she said that because of the way she said it, I had a moment that the, that there was no one else in the room and she was just talking to me lit up a light bulb in my head. And I realized like I do belong in that room. Even if I'm a little closeted weirdo, <laughs> um, it's okay. That room is, is for me. I think it was a real pivotal moment for me because it's the first moment that I can remember that I sat in my body in a room full of queer people and felt like I belonged. And I, I'll probably never forget that feeling.
1: Thank you, Sasha Lure.
0: Thank you so much, Sasha.
1: And then we headed back to Victoria, back to the island. You had session three with your therapist. What was that like?
0: Session three for me was a lot like the last episode in that I think I talked really quickly and I barely remember it. Because you were out of your body. I was out of my body the entire time. I think it was one of my first hour and a half appointments. So it was really long. That extra half hour is it makes a huge difference. But the entire thing was about sex. She wanted to understand my queerness. We started first started talking about the kind of porn I liked, what kind of sex I was used to having. She asked me what my definition of sex was. Is it penis and vagina? Is it, I don't know, all the other kinds? <laughs>
1: <laughs> and then you came home and you said, I'm freaking out. I just told a stranger all kinds of stuff about the porn I like and my kinks. And she knows all these sex secrets about me. What have I done? I'm freaking out. And I was like, oh, that's therapy, Jerry. (laughs) Welcome to therapy. Because you hadn't really done therapy on your own. I mean, you went to see the sofa therapist, but that was a couple of sessions. And then we'd gone to couples therapy to work on like some bumps in the road as they came along. Um, Actually, it was about World of Warcraft because we had to set some boundaries around the game because it was actually becoming a problem slash addiction slash marriage killer.
0: We worked it out. You were
1: just playing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And I would say, hey, Jerry, I need help with something. And you'd say, I'll be in there in a second. And then 40 minutes later, you'd come in and I'd be like, I need I need you to be present with me. <laughs> yeah. And so in therapy, we just worked out a, a gaming schedule. Yeah.
0: Yeah, that's basically it. We work out a schedule and it's it's been working ever since. Anyway, that third session was also where she asked me if I was trans. I think at the end of the session, probably like the last thing she said. And I sputtered and said, no, it's just a kink. But her question is the question that broke me. I guess I should reframe that and say her question was the question that fixed everything. My brain started going a mile a minute. I don't think we talked about it afterwards.
1: No, I I think you said you needed some time
0: to... It was a real heavy one. Yeah. And so the next morning I crawled into bed with you.
1: Wait, have we told everybody that we sleep in separate beds? Maybe not. It started after my cancer treatment. I was in the early stages of menopause and I was having like a thousand hot flashes a night and I was miserable. And also Jerry snores and likes a firm bed and a warm room. And then for me, besides the menopause, I also have sleep apnea and I like a soft bed and a cold room. So it was a whole thing. So we tried sleeping in separate beds and suddenly we were both less tired and that meant we had more energy for each other during the day. And honestly, it's the best thing we ever did because, you know, we snuggle and we canoodle in bed and then we separate for the sleeping part. And then we meet back into the bed together in the morning for more snuggles and coffee. I love it. It's working. We're not the only people who do it because when we do talk about it in our friend group, so many people will like like slip into my DMs and be like, I haven't slept in the same room with my husband for 10 years either. <laughs> but it's a, there's a real sense of shame about it. Yeah, there is. It's, it's interesting.
0: Right, like we can't possibly love each other and sleep in separate beds.
1: <laughs> I love you more because we sleep in separate beds. Agreed. <laughs> so anyway, when you crawled into bed with me that morning... It was different because, well, one, you didn't bring a coffee, but two, you just kind of gently, quietly crawled into bed and you said, so softly, you just said, I think I'm trans. And I wasn't even awake yet. And I was not expecting my bed to become a confessional booth. And I honestly don't really remember the next like 15 or 20 minutes or something because I was working so hard on staying in my body and not floating away because I did go into panic mode. And all I could think was like, oh... Wow, this again, uh, I took a deep breath and I just, I said, you know, I want to apologize for what I said to you back in 96 when this came up before. And I'm so sorry for how I handled things back then. And then I just saw your face like melt with relief. And suddenly you just started telling me everything that you had talked about in therapy and about your feelings and about maybe being trans or maybe not being trans. And then here we are, like almost 25 years into our marriage. And I'm learning things about you that I sort of knew. But then when you put all the pieces together, suddenly I could see the big picture in a way I'd never seen it before. And I always say I'd never met a man like you before, Jerry. And now suddenly I understood why. Like it just all seems so obvious. When I would be with my girlfriends and we were having girl time or girl talk or whatever you want to call it. And all of my friends would be talking about their husbands. The way that they talked about their partners was so uncomfortable for me. And I just couldn't relate to the way many of my friends were having relationships. Like I just didn't fit. And now we know it's because why? Because we're queer?
0: Because you didn't have a husband.
1: Because I didn't have a husband.
0: And most of your friends were describing their problematic heteronormative relationships. And you had what looked like that, but it wasn't that. We'd been having queer sex our whole relationship, even though we didn't know it.
1: Yeah. Thank you, Jerry. And so then... Um, Every morning that week, you would crawl into bed in the morning and you would confess some more. And I did my best to like be present and actively listen and, and like witness your revelations. And I didn't want to add my stuff to the conversation in that moment because I could see that you were trying to figure stuff out and that you were really fragile and vulnerable. But at the same time, I was, had like my own really deep personal shame for shutting you down in 96. And I was also freaking the fuck out because I thought, oh, you're going to leave me. I really, I really was, had convinced myself that you were going to leave me. And because I didn't have anybody to talk about it with in a space where I felt safe and because you still weren't sure with what you were doing, it didn't feel like it was something that I could like articulate to a friend. And so I just kind of secretly imploded while I was also trying to be supportive. And I had been taking a break from therapy that year. And so I called my therapist to set up a time to re-engage, but she was on holiday. Um, so I wouldn't be able to see her for about six weeks, but it was okay. It was okay. I figured, oh, I can weather this for six weeks. Just knowing that I had an appointment time made me feel good. Yet I felt really alone during that time. And I would actually go on like car rides by myself and just blast music because... I, I didn't have anybody I could talk to about it because Jerry, you are that person that I talked to about all these deep, dark feelings in my life. But um, because you were the topic of my stress in that moment and you were so fragile in that moment, I didn't want to take a chance with having you retreat back. I didn't want to, I didn't want a repeat of 1996. I just did my best to wait it out and and do some self-care for myself until I could see my therapist to talk about it. But by the time I saw her, (laughs) we figured it all out. And I was like, oh, hi, how are you? I haven't seen you in a while. Oh, did you know Jerry's trans?"
0: I feel like that part was the longest. I feel like... Yeah, it felt like forever. When I think back, I feel like that was months long. I was going to therapy once a week at that point. And it may have been a week. I feel like the real hard stuff happened really quickly But in our minds, it took forever. That back and forth, am I trans, aren't I trans, is just so hard. And I think for me, the part that I got hung up on the most was I didn't understand transgender exists outside of transition when I... Found that out through like all of my, I want to say research, but it's not totally research. We were because
1: just Googling the fuck out of everything. Yeah, just like Google, Google. <laughs> I'm
0: just like following memes and subreddits. I don't know if that's like the best place to get actual quote unquote information. I found that on Reddit, there's a really, really, really great trans community, even though Reddit is also the most toxic place on the internet. There's probably worse. It's one of. It's definitely one of. But eventually I kind of got around it in my head and I got a handle on being trans and doing nothing and
1: So you're saying that someone can be trans but not do the transition. Of course. That's what you're saying. Of course. And so when you read that it just like gave you permission to just kind of relax a little bit and and not focus so much on the transition but more focus on being trans.
0: Yes. Yeah, the transition part was always really scary to me. There's a lot of internalized transphobia around that for me. So my last therapy session, she said, are you trans? And I'm like, no.
1: No, of course not. That's ridiculous.
0: (laughs) And then the the next session, I went in, hat in hand, shoulders slumped. Yeah, I'm trans. And then we started talking about what that looked like for me.
1: And that's also when we met Jamie. And not Jamie who wrote the song. And
0: not Jamie J. Tilly.
1: No, we love Jamie, but but who's the, but this Jamie, the dark Jamie? Who who is Jamie?
0: I had a lot of dark feelings about being trans, and my therapist helped me give those dark thoughts a name and a face. I think we spent almost half a session describing a person in detail. I made a visualization of the perfect transphobe in my mind. <laughs> it helped me separate my negative irrational internal thoughts from the truth because you listen to the voices in your head so much like they're the truth as though someone is higher above you talking straight down to you and telling you everything that you need to hear but it's just self-hate and
1: and sometimes those darker thoughts those dark thoughts are easier to agree with than the positive ones yeah,
0: right so much so And this person that we created in my mind is named Jamie. Um, So Jamie is the name of my internalized transphobia, my inner saboteur. And it helped me look at them from a different angle. Takes those bad thoughts and turns them into this fucking idiot frat boy that (laughs) is trash talking me. Of all the therapeutic tools that I've been given through therapy, this one helped me probably the most. Because whenever I'm starting to think something really negative, I take I stop a beat and and I'm like, "Is this me? Am I thinking this, or is this Jamie?" And almost every time, it's fucking Jamie. He's a real jerk. After that, when I started exploring my trans side, Jamie was flipping the fuck out, and he got so loud because I think. Jamie is so scared. Jamie's afraid. He wants me trapped. He likes it when I'm uncomfortable in my body. And he loves saying terrible things to make me doubt myself.
1: So when I learned about Jamie, it also helped me a lot because Jamie is the one who, when I look in the mirror and I think, oh, I look okay today, Jamie's the one who tells me that I'm a mutant because I don't have breasts or that my gray curly hair makes me look like a an old scary witch. And Jamie is such an asshole. But as soon as I learned about Jamie it really, it's the same thing. Now, when I hear those negative thoughts, I'm like, oh, Jamie, (laughs) fuck off, Jamie. Get out of here, Jamie. So anyway, in all my fretful late night, like, google searches like what to do when your husband is a trans woman (laughs) i found a book called love lives here by amanda jeté knox uh the story of the book is about her child coming out as a trans girl and how it reshaped her family but then spoiler alert her partner comes out as well as transgender and the rest of the book is about them navigating and reframing their marriage when i read the synopsis i was like oh shit we need to read that
0: we bought two copies, and every morning we had a chance, we would lay beside each other in bed and read one chapter. And when we were finished, we would close the book and discuss that chapter and all the feelings that it brought up. It was really helpful because their story was so similar to ours, except the kids part. And we really talked in earnest about every little trans detail that was on my mind.
1: So that book was an inc- incredibly helpful for us because while it's not a like a textbook about trans stuff. It is a personal story about this woman and her family and what they went through. And it just, it just helped me so much.
0: Now that we're talking about it and saying it out loud, it's like, we were helped so much by this book about someone's relationship and the struggles of their relationship, where they were and their story and about how they came out and how everything worked out for them. I can't help but think like, That book has definitely planted a seed in us because now we're doing the same thing because we got so much benefit out of it.
1: Like when we started this, you thought, oh, is this a vanity project? And it's like, kind of, but also we want to share our story because maybe it's helpful to somebody.
0: And so far it's proving that that's true because we're getting like tons of feedback from people about the different ways our story is impacting them and, and their gender exploration.
1: The feedback has been amazing. I mean, it makes me feel so good. So we were reading that book. And for me, you know, I was just doing okay, because I thought you were (laughs) gonna leave me. So I was sort of, I was honest, I was just in panic mode that our marriage was over. But I couldn't articulate that to you yet. I also had all these wild panic thoughts that your therapist had told you that you were transgender and had pushed you to be transgender, even though I know that's not what therapists do. But it was an easy thought for me because you were waffling back and forth so much. Like one minute you would say, I'm sure I'm trans. And then I'd kind of settle into that. And then the next minute you're like, nope, forget it. It's not happening. I'm not trans. Of course I'm not trans. That's ridiculous. And I'd be like... Okay, and I'd settle into that. And so it was...
0: It was all Jamie.
1: Yeah, it was Jamie. So I felt really like dizzy because besides the waffling, things were just moving really fast. And every day there was a new layer shed. And I I, I was full of grief because I didn't get a chance to even say goodbye to my husband. At least that's what it felt like in the moment. He was just like gone, poof. But the truth is he was never actually there.
0: That's kind of a thing that I see a lot that happens in sort of cisgender stories about trans people in their lives. There's this feeling that you need to mourn the loss of your loved one as they transition to a new person, which is so loaded and kind of awful and so untrue because they aren't changing. They're just opening up. I don't think there's anything to mourn about the addition of the rest of your friend, partner, child's personality. I think helping people thrive is so beautiful. And it saddens me to hear that that story, that mourn the loss. You lost nothing. You gained everything.
1: But it took me a second
0: to realize what <laughs> was course, happening. Of course.
1: And then on one of our dog walks, which is where all of our best conversations happen, I... It was a really emotional one. And I was just like, I think this therapist is pushing you to do this. I don't think you want to do this. Uh, Like, is this because she told you you were trans? Because that's not what therapists should do. Like, how old is she? Is she even a real therapist? Did she even go to school? Like, I was just flipping out. I think because the waffling made me feel like you didn't really want to do it. I really felt like she had planted an idea. Just for this brief moment. Right. I felt like she had implanted this idea into your brain.
0: Anyway, I was freaking out. Like, I was just so confused. And I I said, she didn't tell me to do anything. I came to my own conclusions. She's just pointing things out. I am trans, but I'm having a really hard time with it because it's so scary.
1: And then I think I said something like, I'm just having a hard time with the waffling. Because the going back and forth was was really difficult and i i think i said like you need to figure this out so we can move forward because you know i love a plan and it sounds so selfish but it was like agony for me because it did just feel like an out of control roller coaster and one second it was up and the next second it was down and i just i guess i wanted you to take your time to process what you needed to process but it was also it was it was agony to watch so i can't imagine what it felt like for you
0: Of course, of course, of course, of course you felt like that. Watching me go through all of that while I was being supported by you and a therapist, it must have made you feel so alone because I couldn't help you with it. I was deep, deep in my own thing. And you had no one. You weren't seeing anybody or talking to anybody. It was just like you. And I'd come home from work and guess what? Here's some new shit I thought up. Dump it on you and go to bed. And like, that's, it must have been impossible. And you were bringing all of your own stuff into it. You have your own transphobia inside of you that is impacting how you were feeling about this. And, you know, we were both like coming at it from our weird 80s backgrounds. There was so much unlearning that we had to do to get even to that point. Yeah. But I think on that dog walk, I said, I think we had the conversation about trans and transition, like transgender and transition, not being the same word and not meaning the same things in any way. Okay. And I think so I said, I am trans. That's who I am. But we need to figure out what, what we're going to do about it.
1: And I was so freaked out. All I could think was like, are we going to break up? engineering for this episode by gavin stacy what would we do without you gavin we'd be so lost this episode brought to you by nobody do you have a business or a product you'd like to promote email us at info at we have many different reasonably priced advertising rates let's do some business thanks for listening see you next time